Thank you. So I'm Sarah Hencho, a partner in our global employment team here at Allen & Overy. I'm delighted to welcome you to the second in our series of calls, looking at the global workforce challenges arising from the COVID-19 pandemic. For those of you who were not able to join our first call last week, a recording is available, and we've also produced some written guidance on some of the frequently asked questions we've been addressing with clients over the past few weeks. So please do reach out for those if you haven't already received them. On today's call, we'll be looking at the developments in a number of the countries since last week's call. And of course, with this being so fast-paced and governments having to react very quickly, there is an almost daily change on workforce issues. We'll also look at some of the issues we didn't get a chance to address last week. As our uh, facilitator just mentioned, you're all automatically on mute, so there's nothing you need to do at your end, um, but hopefully you'll be able to hear all of our fantastic speakers. Um, and who are they? Well, um, fortunately, I'm joined with exactly the same team of experts we had last week. They are Silvia Barzu from Spain, Marcos Berendt from Germany, Livio Basotto from Italy, Gilles Delanol from Luxembourg, Brian Jebb from the US, Arnold Kaitzer from the Netherlands, Susanna Ming from China, Claire Tunio from France, Inga van der Hatten from Belgium, and I will be covering the UK aspects. Thank you to all of you who have submitted questions in advance of today's session. We will aim to cover these in the call, but given the time constraints, we won't be able to cover every jurisdiction in response to every question. If you do have any follow-up, though, our team will be delighted to speak to you, so please do reach out to any one of them. So without further ado, let's crack on. I think first it would be useful to look in each country at what legislative updates there have been in the last week. Well, certainly from the UK, we've now received the guidance we've been waiting for on the government's job retention scheme. As you'll know, about 10 days ago, the government announced that companies that furloughed its employees, and by furlough we mean employees who are sent home and with no work to do but who remain on the payroll, um, as a result of the downturn in the work due to the pandemic, um, the government will agree to pay the employer an amount equal to 80% of the employee's pay, capped at £2,500 gross per employee per month. What we now know as a result of the guidance is that this applies to all employers with a UK payroll, irrespective of the size of the employer, irrespective of the industry, and irrespective of the employer's financial position. It applies to any employee who was on the employer's payroll as at the 28th of February. We've had questions over whether those who signed contracts before that date but had not actually started would be covered. This isn't dealt with in the guidance, but we suspect they wouldn't be on the basis that that would leave the scheme open to being abused by those who seek to backdate contracts. Of course, an employer can still furlough somebody who started employment after the 28th of February. It just wouldn't be able to recover part of the employee's pay from the government. The guidance has also shown us that the employee must not be doing any work during the furloughed period, but they can attend training. The furlough period must be at least three weeks, um, although it can be longer. And at this stage, the government scheme is due to end at the end of May, albeit it could be extended beyond that, subject to what's happening with the pandemic at that time. 
The ability to claim under the government scheme is not yet set up, um, but once it is, employers can claim back to the first touch. <laughs> Apologies that we've got to fear and Whoever, um, I think it may be one of the speakers, there's some interference on the line. If you could go on mute, thank you. Um, so just to recap, um, the ability to claim under the scheme is not yet set up, but once it is, the employers can claim back to the 1st of March. If employees were furloughed then, or if they were furloughed afterwards, then the employer can only claim from the date on which the employees were first furloughed. The employer is free to top up the government's pay if it wishes, um, but it's not under any obligation to do so if employees consent to being furloughed on reduced pay. And I'll come back in a while to talk a bit more about the question of consent and consultation. But before I do, um, let's look at Spain. Sylvia, can you tell us what updates you've had in the past week? Yeah, sure. Thank you, Sarah. Well, in Spain, during the last week, uh, quite a few new level measures have been regulated. However, in my opinion, the most relevant have been the following three. First, uh, with the aim of limiting the mobility of people as much as possible and thereby infecting more people, last Sunday, the Spanish government approved a new rule by which all employees except those who are working remotely or those who are working in the so-called essential services or have their employment contracts suspended, must be in a situation of recoverable or paid leave from the 30th of March to 9th of April. This means that during these 11 days, employees will not be able to work, but the company will have to pay full wages. Then, once the current a situation and a state of alarm is over, the company and the employees or the legal representatives will have to negotiate to see how they will recover the days left from working on the paid leave before December 31st of 2020. The second main employment measure has to do with the duration of temporary contracts, uh, which are included or affected by a process of collective suspension of employment contracts the so-called ERTES here in Spain, uh, these contracts will be considered interrupted during the period of that suspension so that they cannot be terminated, terminated until at least the end of the suspension measures that will have been implemented by the company. So this is a clear extension of the temporary contract by law. And last but not least, dismissals based on the situation generated by COVID-19, whether due to force measure or for economic, organizational, productive reasons, will be considered unfair in any case, and then the company will have to pay the severance payment legally provided for in this case. So I think these are three of the most relevant uh, news that we have from the employment perspective. Thank you, Sylvia. Some, some real changes there, particularly in relation to all dismissals being unfair during that period if linked to um, the pandemic. Um, Livio, how about, how about in Italy, Olivia? Is that following a similar pattern to Spain? Thank you, Sarah. Uh, yes, uh, I, let me say that there was not relevant development on a specific employment law matters in the last week. But the last week has been very important for, uh, let me say, from a practical perspective, for the administrative circulars and notes implementing uh, uh, the previous measures taken in the past week 
by the Italian government. I want to highlight today uh, two of them because they are very, very important. The first one is about the Social Security National Body, called IMSS in Italy, which has issued on the 28th of March the guidelines to apply for the social furlough. Uh, it is very important for the companies because the IMSS, the Social Security National Body in Italy, has issued these guidelines uh, confirming the availability of the social furlough for nine, nine weeks with a simplified procedure. Uh, furthermore, just yesterday, in the banking sector, we have uh, to highlight an important uh, um, measure because the unions in the bank and credit sector have signed an important agreement by means of which, in case of a request of social furlough, the banks have to anticipate the economic treatment and then they can ask their reimbursement to the Social Security National Body in the following month with an adjustment of the Social Security charges to be paid. Obviously, in Italy, we will wait uh, uh, new measures in the coming two days because the first decrease issued at the mid of March will expire in the next two days, so we wait for important measures coming in the, in the 3rd of April. Lovely. Thank you, Livia. Interesting to see the role that the union is playing there in the financial services sector. Gilles, how about Luxembourg? What, is, what have you seen in the past week? Thank you, Sarah. Um, I think we've, we've seen three new items that have appeared over the last seven days. The first one relates to the state-backed system of partial unemployment, which is comparable to short-time work systems in other countries. The government has provided additional details on companies' eligibility to that scheme. Companies that have been ordered to close down by governmental decision are automatically eligible. That is not a surprise. Other companies need to explain to what extent COVID-19 has caused a reduction of their activities. Once this eligibility has been confirmed by the government, companies re receive an advance of the state subsidies, and that is, of course, a huge liquidity help for, for the companies that are concerned. The second item is that companies which are acting in critical sectors, including telecommunication, banking, and insurance, can ask their employees to work up to 12 hours per day and 60 hours per week subject to a governmental approval. That is also something relatively unusual. And then the final item is that Luxembourg is about to conclude an agreement with the German federal government on the tax treatment for German cross-border commuters who carry out their work from home. The days will likely be considered as days worked from Luxembourg, thereby limiting negative tax impact for, for German cross-border commuters. So the texts have not yet been signed and finalized, but um, it's, uh, it's about to be done. Great. Thank you. So that's very interesting. Um, Brian, I'm sure your president has had plenty to say in the last week. What have, what's been going on in the U.S.? Yes, thanks, Sarah. So, as you know, last week uh, the major federal legislation was the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, which uh, contained provisions relating to paid sick leave, family and medical leave, and tax credits for employers that employed less than 500 employees. This week the major development was the CARES Act was signed on March 27th, that expanded lending to both small businesses and other businesses. It increased 
uh, unemployment insurance for employees and created tax relief for both businesses and individuals. The most important provisions from an employment perspective is all requirements for assistance from the federal government from either the small business or general lending all have employment provisions that employers should be aware of. And those employment provisions are designed to uh, reduce layoffs if companies are applying for this assistance. So firstly, if, if a small business is, is applying for a loan, any loan must be reduced if they are having employment reductions. And secondly, if an employer is seeking direct loans, then they will be subject to compensation restrictions, uh, particularly to executives earning more than $425,000, employment restrictions will be in place. And most importantly, eligible businesses will only be able to seek that government assistance if they maintain their employment levels as they were as at 24th of March to the extent practicable and they may not reduce employment levels by more than 10%. Great, thanks Brian. It's interesting to hear that there's so many um, restrictions around the ability to make terminations during that period, similar to what Sylvia was saying in Spain. Um, Arnold, how about the Netherlands? What, do you, what have you seen in the past week? Well, like, like the US, uh, employment protection is a priority for the Dutch government. Uh, I noted last week that the government announced emergency measures. Uh, and a key measure is that the government will temporarily compensate employers for up to 90% of their wage bill. Uh, yesterday, the government has published the underlying regulation and provided much needed clarity and guidance for companies. Uh, the measure is a very generous one. It covers up to 90% of wage costs, uh, significantly higher than the UK, for instance, Sarah, for a period of three months, with a possible extension of another three months. Now, the clarity uh, that was given yesterday um, helps a number or answers a number of important questions that clients have had over the past two weeks. Uh, firstly, the Compensation is tied to the percentage of expected turnover loss in any three-month period between March and August. Now, companies have been impacted by the pandemic at different times, so companies can also choose to let this period start on different dates, so the 1st of March, April, and 1st of May. And the loss of turnover should be measured against one quarter of total net turnover over 2019. Um, an issue... I guess is that turnover loss should be measured at group level, not at individual entities. It means that some groups that have a steep decline in one part of the business but not the other may not be eligible. Um, the scheme will hopefully open from coming Monday, but ultimately on the 13th of April, and requests can be made until the 31st of May, offering in advance of 80% within two to three week, uh, four weeks is the expectation. Um, there is a cap, uh, compensated wages are capped at uh, 9500 uh, a month per employee, which is significantly more than in some other countries. An important condition is that no redundancies can be applied for. Uh, that means, however, that termination of employment on other grounds remains possible, such as dismissal during probation periods, expiring fixed-term contracts, mutual agreements, and the like. So all in all, it's, it's a generous measure, and the government expects half of all companies in the Netherlands to apply for the scheme at the tune of uh, 10 billion 
euros uh, to get that much-needed liquidity ASAP and preserve employment at the same time. Yeah, I can imagine. Thank you, Arlo. That's um, well-timed guidance coming out just in advance of the call. I can imagine it's been much anticipated. Susanna, obviously in China, you're those few weeks ahead of us in terms of the pandemic. What um, developments have you seen in the past week? Yes, uh, for China, since our last call, uh, the main change is that the Ministry uh, of Foreign Affairs announced that starting from midnight of last Saturday, China temporarily banned entries of foreigners into the country. Um, this is in response to the growing number of imported cases. Um, earlier, there were like a few days when China had no new confirmed cases, but uh, with students and others rushing back to the country from overseas, there was a genuine need to have this uh, administrative measure. Um, I think that this is an unprecedented measure after the travel ban in and out of the Hubei province back in January uh, this year. Um, uh, those who are affected by the travel ban uh, are foreign nationals holding valid uh, visas, be that employment visa or uh, other like uh, entry visas or resident permits. Um, although there are like a few very limited exemptions to this. Um, the administrative uh, measure uh, is uh, under constant review, but at present there is no set timeline to uplift the ban. Well, um, I think uh, all of us agree that things are moving very fast with uh, COVID-19. Uh, last week, we had clients who wanted to assess if there are any potential liabilities, for example, workplace injuries, if they were to ask their foreign staff to come back to China to work. Uh, obviously, employers, they want to understand the risk exposure before uh, making the request. Um, the concern, of, of course, uh, is that uh, there is a possibility that staff may get infected, for example, while flying uh, on the plane or during transit. But with the new measure, these are becoming worse for the time being. Um, we, are, we also come across like cases where key personnel uh, of businesses were stuck outside China and were not able to return to work in China. Um, depending on the industry, this can cause like regulatory immigration as well as tax uh, issues. Um, so this is the, the main update since the last week. Thanks, Susanna. I, th I think you um, touched on a really important point here for a number of jurisdictions where people are currently working outside of their normal home location. And, and as you rightly say, the implications of that around tax, regulation, immigration, um, et cetera, is going to be a real challenge going forward. Um, Inga, what's happening in Belgium? Hi, Sarah. In Belgium, the protective measures imposed by the Belgian government have been extended until 19 April 2020. This means that companies, which do not qualify as key industries, must continue to organize working from home for all employees where this is possible, or otherwise they need to strictly respect social distancing. In the meantime, the number of employees in temporary unemployment has increased considerably, and currently more than one million employees in Belgium are on temporary unemployment and are thus eligible to receive an allowance funded by the state. And in reaction to this increase, some employers' organizations and political leaders are calling for more employees to continue to work in a safe way and to try to limit the reliance on temporary unemployment. Thank you, Inga. And Claire, how about France? 
Well, first of all, with respect to France, uh, containment has been postponed until the 15th of April so far. Of course, um, this can be again uh, postponed. Uh, on the legislative side, uh, we have 25 decrees um, that has been adopted uh, since last week, since our call last week. A key one is also on um, partial unemployment, so situation where um, people do not work uh, at all or have reduced working time in the Corona-19 context. Uh, there is a robust state support that can go up to 6.8 K euros per month, so very significant. We have also new measures on uh, paid holidays uh, with the possibility to impose some paid holidays uh, on employees, measures also regarding working time in business sectors that are considered as really key for uh, the nation or for the business uh, continuity with the increased um, uh, maximum working day and uh, working week. Um, measures also on, on sick pay. And on top of those legislative um, changes, we, the, the Ministry of Labour in France has published some quite precise guidelines um, in relation to how you deal with your employee representatives in this, uh, you know, uh, working, uh, working remotely, and also um, mentioning the conditions under which employees can be required to come to work. So that's for that's the update for forums. Great, thank you very much, Claire. And um, sorry, last but not least, Markov, what what are you seeing in Germany? Thanks very much, Sarah. Um, so in Germany, we don't have that many um, um, new new laws in, in, in force like in France, like Claire just summarised. Um, but quite a few, um, not the biggest one, but but interesting ones. Just to summarise um, five key topics. Um, first. Um, um, Child supplements in German kinder Zuschläge, um, were the access to child supplements were made easier for low-earning employees. Um, and that is um, nothing very compli com complicated what happened here, but um, the calculation of um, the um, earnings of the employees were, were made a little bit easier so that low-earning employees um, have easier access to those supplements. Um, second, and pretty interesting, um, there was decided to introduce a stimulus to take up systematically relevant jobs. Um, so if an employee is on short-time work for his current employer, normally that employee cannot work for another employer during that time without um, having any financial disadvantages with regard to short-time um, um, compensation. Um, if that employee, however, now should take up a job in a um, systematically relevant job, which is, for example, um, in a hospital or somewhere else, this will not impact his earnings under the short-term work. So this, this shall um, motivate the employees more or less uh, to take on jobs um, now that they have uh, time to do that. Um, third one um, is a, an act on the exception to applicable working hours. Um, in Germany, there is a maximum working hours of eight, in exceptions, 10 hours per day. Um, now, more easily uh, exceptions can be made to that, in particular during this pandemic time um, that healthcare services of general interest, but also public safety and order are maintained. Um, fourth, um, that's um, um, a new act for pensioners. Normally, pensioners who, who receive um, state pension payments 
must not earn um, additional money without um, detriments to their um, pension income. Normally, they must not earn more than 6,300 euros per year, which now has been increased to 44,590 euros per year, which is quite a lot and which now um, makes it possible for them to um, take on a new job as well, in particular, for example, in healthcare, etc. Then finally, as part of the law to protect population in the event of an epidemic situation of national importance, uh, which came actually into force last week when we had this call on 25th of March, um, this deals with the compensation for working parents who suffer loss of earnings during a pandemic because of the need uh, for childcare. But I think we will discuss that later on in more detail. Thanks, Mark. There's some really good social initiatives there, which um, I can certainly say from a UK perspective have not been replicated in terms of working parents or those um, who are looking to use their skills for, for other purposes whilst they've been laid off. So hopefully um, our government will follow suit with you and, and replicate some of that. Um, Arnold, what are you seeing in practice in the Netherlands? Are there any similar initiatives there or are employers thinking of any particular um, initiatives that they can deploy to try to reduce the impact of this situation on the workforce? Mm. Well, I, I mean, in the Netherlands, as in other countries, companies are facing, of course, severe liquidity problems. And for some of those, the emergency measures that I just indicated are just coming too late. And it's interesting to see that in the Netherlands, we are seeing unusual alliances coming together, where even trade unions are helping companies with uh, their cash crunch. So... We are seeing social partners renegotiating collective bargaining agreements with a view to postpone <clears throat> certain payments to later in the year, such as holiday allowance. Um, and whilst that would typically not be possible in individual situations, there's, uh, there's more flexibility to do so at, um, at sectoral level and through, through CBAs. And it's, it's quite an interesting development where you see that, that all stakeholders are, are taking their responsibility. Mm. Yeah. And how about in Luxembourg, Gilles? Any initiatives there? Um, yeah, there are two, I think, two practical hints I would like to, to provide or two, um, two points of experience. The first one relates to holidays and more generally annual leave. It is in principle not possible for a Luxembourg employer to impose upon employees to take annual leave. However, holidays that have been fixed and approved need to be taken unless the employer approves that they are, they are cancelled. This is particularly relevant for the weeks to come because a number of employees had fixed holidays for the Easter break and now try to cancel them to save the days of annual leave and do homeworking instead. And here, as mentioned, the employer can actually say no and insist on these days to be taken so that the holiday balance is uh, at least reduced a little bit um, when, when the corona crisis is over. And then the second practical hint concerns partial unemployment. As described last week, the Luxembourg system allows employees who are on such leave to receive 80% of their salary, which is capped at 5,354 euros per month. A number of companies have considered paying any delta between higher salaries and this indemnity, which is, of course, a huge favor. And our advice would be that this favor should only be granted if the employer gets something in return, and more specifically, again, speaking about the holidays, so the employer cannot impose upon employees to take 2020 holidays. However, of course, you can submit the 
paying this delta between the normal salary and the um, partial unemployment money, you can submit that to the condition that people take at least some of their 2020 days of holiday. So you can reduce the holiday balance in, in that way. That is a, a practical element that we see um, uh, getting used by a number of companies. Yes, very similar in the UK as well. We're seeing a number of employers doing exactly the same thing around mandating holiday, um, provided the employer gives twice as much notice as the amount of holiday they want the person to take, then the employer can mandate holiday be taken. Um, and similarly, as you say, not allowing employees to retract or cancel holiday they have planned so that they don't return to work when this is all over um, with a huge amount of holiday still to take. Um, so I think that's certainly something we, we're replicating here. Um, what about for those employers, though, who are not looking to lay people off because they still need them to do work, but they can't either continue to give employees the same number of hours as they worked before um, or continue to pay them at the same level? Um, in the UK, we've seen a lot of employers looking at reducing hours and reducing pay, which they can do, but only if they have employee consent to do so. Um, we'll come on to talk a bit, as I said, about what getting consent looks like in the consultation obligations, um, but it certainly is a possibility. Brian, is that something that you can do in the US? Yes, so in the US, um, it'll depend on if you're reducing the hours as well as reducing the salary, It'll also depend on whether the employee is an hourly employee, which we call a non-exempt employee, or a salaried employee, which we call an exempt employee. In terms of a reduction in hours and salary, that is okay with non-exempt hourly employees as, as you only have to pay them for the hours worked. Whereas for your exempt employees, your salaried employees, you have to pay them their weekly rate if they work any hours during that week. That's under the Fair Labor Standards Act. Now, if you want to keep the hours the same but to just reduce their salary, with non-exempt with non-exempt employees, you can do that, although you must at least pay them the minimum wage under both uh, federal and state law. For exempt employees, for the salaried employees, you can reduce their pay, but there's two things you have to think about. Firstly, you may lose the exemption under the Fair Labor Standards Act, and therefore they'll be subject to rules such as overtime. And the third, the, the second thing to be aware of is for your executive employees to check their employment agreement because some US executives will have the concept of good reason that if you reduce their salary without their consent, they may be entitled to severance. Great. Thanks, Brian. Susanna, how about China? Is this something that you've seen happen and, and is it possible? Yeah, the situation in China is basically the same as the UK. Um, generally, reduction of salary amounts to a change of employment terms, and employees' consent is required. Um, uh, back in like uh, February, the Ministry of uh, Human Resources and Social Security issued a set of guidelines. Basically, it says that you know, for those employers with financial difficulties, they can discuss with their employees to explore alternatives, including to reduce their, their salary or to uh, restructure, restructure their uh, work rate, reduce hours, etc. Uh, maybe I can also like mention about Hong Kong across the border in Hong Kong. Uh, the situation is the same. Employees' consent is required. 
Uh, we are also aware of a good number of employers uh, who are discussing with the employees on wage reduction or taking uh, unpaid leave in lieu of position elimination. Great, thank you, Susanna. I can imagine the situation perhaps is not quite so permissive in some of my uh, European colleagues' jurisdictions. Livio, what about Italy? Exactly. The situation in Italy is exactly the opposite. Uh, in Italy, it is not possible legally reducing employees' salaries, even with the consent of the employee. So this means that uh, the framework is very stringent. The only exception that we, uh, that we have is only within uh, restructuring of dismissal. So uh, this means that in case of uh, big restructuring or dismissal, uh, the, the parties, in order to avoid the dismissal, can try to find an agreement. And the agreement can also include, for example, uh, change of level, change of hours and salary. But as you know, in this emergency period, the dismissal in Italy are completely prohibited for uh, objective reason and redundancy. So in any case, it is not possible, even in this exception, to reduce the salary in Italy. Right. Thank you, Livio. Um, Arnold, are you more in the UK, US, China camp, or are you following more the Italian model in the Netherlands? Uh, well, more the Italian model, I would say, or a bit of a mix. So, so reduction of, uh, of pay with mutual consent is possible. Uh, you just need to be careful if that also coincides with a, a reduction in hours. Um, a partial a payment of partial severance uh, uh, could uh, be due. Um, however, if you look at unilateral reduction in base pay, that's typically not allowed in the Netherlands. Uh, and despite these exigent circumstances, and particularly not whilst the government is subsidising wage bills of companies, um, and even the Minister of Social Affairs only yesterday confirmed that staff that are not able to work due to the closure of offices or sites are still entitled to, uh, to they're still entitled to full pay. There is somewhat more flexibility to uh, to limit other income components, but the uh, the legal threshold uh, remains very high in the Netherlands. Great, thanks, Arnold. And Markov, from what I know of Germany, I suspect that that is much more um, akin to what's happening in Italy and the Netherlands and the UK, but perhaps you can enlighten us as to what the obligations and requirements are there on pay. It's somewhere in the middle, actually. Um, so as a general principle, employers cannot unilaterally uh, reduce salary or working time. And in some cases, like in Italy, it is not even possible um, with the employee's explicit consent. So um, and as a general rule, we will have to differentiate between employees who fall under collective bargaining agreements or whose terms and conditions with regard to salary um, are governed in a shop agreement with the Works Council. And in those scenarios, it is not possible that the employees um, um, agree on something which is worse than those conditions in the collective agreements. If um, the whole contract and the salary, et cetera, is um, negotiated individually with the employee, employer, however, um, it is possible um, to, to reduce the working time and to reduce the salary, yes. But um, as said, um, it is necessary to get the employee's explicit consent to that. Yeah. And I think any of us who have been in the situations where you're trying to make changes to terms and conditions and changes to um, working conditions, 
will know that one of the hardest things about that is the consultation process and how lengthy that can be and how involved it can be. Um, but obviously in the current situation where emergency measures need to be taken to protect the business, um, that sort of a consultation process is not really practical. Um, in the UK, um, we had wondered whether the government in its guidance would actually relax the consultation obligations, um, but they haven't done so. There is an exemption to full consultation if there are what is referred to as special circumstances, um, which of itself is quite obviously a vague concept. Um, we believe that this situation would fall within special circumstances and therefore would alleviate the full consultation obligation. Um, however, you would still need to do some consultation with employees, either with those who you're planning to furlough, those who you're planning to reduce hours, or those who you're planning to reduce pay. Um, by doing some consultation, you should at least be giving employees notice um, of what you're doing, why you're doing it, and when you're proposing it to take effect, um, and give employees the opportunity to ask questions, raise queries about the proposal before you put it in place. And of course, that you'd be seeking their agreement to it. Um, now, I know some employers in the UK haven't been able to do that because of the situations they're in, particularly in retail and hospitality, where they've had to take very urgent, swift decisions to furlough people um, with immediate effect. But we're seeing other industries implementing these shorter consultation periods um, and more truncated process. Um, I'd say it's not without risk because the government haven't relaxed it, but it certainly seems to be the practical solution in these circumstances. Um, Mark, is, is consultation still required at the same level in Germany, or has there been some relaxation there? Uh, no relaxation, but a lot of confusion, actually. Um, consultation in Germany happens um, not so much towards employees, but um, basically with the Works Council. So in, in every business in Germany with at least five employees, the Works Council can, but must, it does not have to establish, and most businesses do have Works Councils, and those um, employees' representatives are uh, competent to negotiate, for example, shop agreements on, on working time, on, on home office, on um, um, the payment of salary, on um, 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 computers, um, etc. So all of these um, um, matters of, of um, the, the daily work. Um, in, in these days of home office, it is very interesting how this consultation can happen because um, German law requests that uh, the Works Council um, as, as a body uh, makes its decisions when everybody is present in one room. So they have to be in one room and make a decision there, which is not possible when everybody is working from home. So um, in the last uh, weeks, um, major discussions um, um, started um, whether or not um, um, works councils now can make their decisions via telephone conference or video conference. And um, more or less every legal author in Germany is of the opinion there must be a way around this, but there isn't. Um, um, so we have no change of law yet, so that every decision the works council makes at the moment um, is under the risk of being completely void. Um, we see in practice that many clients uh, deal with that, with um, agreements between the employer and the works council, building on mutual trust where they, for example, say, um, um, if this shop agreement is not um, um, valid, we will not um, uh, raise the, uh, the argument that you should have uh, made, it, made a decision with physical presence, etc. Um, but also is not valid. 
So um, we are running risk at the moment that um, many, many decisions of the Works Council are simply void, and that, uh, just to name the most important example at the moment, can have the consequence that all of the short-term um, payments um, which the, the employers receive from the government have to be paid back. Because uh, one, of the, um, uh, one of the ways how short-term work can be introduced in Germany is a shop agreement. And if the shop agreement is void, then the introduction of short-term work is void. And so the whole basis for receiving funds from, from the German authorities is also not there. So there is a big risk at the moment that the consultation with the Works Council, which is insecure, um, and has the consequence that employers are facing large financial risks going forward. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's really interesting, Markov. Thank you. And clearly, um, Works Councils and unions have a really big part to play in this. And um, Livia mentioned the work that unions have been doing in Italy. Um, Sylvia, how about in Spain? What sort of role have the unions and work councils have been playing? Have they been helping employers in this difficult situation, or have you found that um, they have been more of a hindrance? Well, it depends. In Spain, all the new legislative measures that took as a consequence of COVID-19 clearly established and sick deeply that the most representative unions at the national level and the representative unions in each of the sectors of activity have a direct participation in their implementation. In fact, uh, carrying out union activities are one of the, of the activities that have been considered essential for the purpose of not having supplied the, the pace list to which I referred previously. Um, however, in practice, given the very high number of collective employment contract suspension procedures that are being activated, there are many occasions in which unions are not able to directly engage in negotiation process with the companies, and only in these cases, in the absence of legal representative of the workers within the company itself, is the employees who must choose between then three representatives to negotiate with employers the measures to be implemented. Therefore, in Spain, the role of unions is being very, very relevant at that moment, and in general, they are putting pressure on companies, especially the largest ones, to improve complement public benefits up to a certain percentage of wages. But on the other hand, in my opinion, uh, their presence usually helps to make negotiation processes more uh, agile than when only affected employees participate. So that's yeah. the situation here. Great. Thank you, Sylvia. And how about in France, Claire? Are they being helpful and practical there? Well, we see quite a contrast. Um, on the one hand, there are negotiations going on with trade unions uh, on imposing paid holidays on employees because you, you need a collective bargaining agreement to do so, a company agreement. Uh, but on the other hand, what we see is that World Council are not always cooperative. Um, on the one hand, some of them require postponement of consultation process on so, which means the postponement of the projects on which consultation uh, needs to take place. Um, so as a result, the Ministry of Labor uh, has published in forms a Q&A recommending that meetings should be held by video conference or even in person if health and safety rules can be observed, in particular the rule of um, social distancing of one meter between two, two persons. Um, what we see also as an example of not really good cooperation is that um, 
we see that works on heel and trade unions often support uh, employees in exercising their right to withdraw from a dangerous situation, which is something that exists in our French labor code, uh, considering that the conditions for a safe working environment are not met. So um, there's quite a lot of discussions going on uh, these days, and in some companies uh, that can be a real, uh, a real issue. Yeah, sounds like it, Claire. Thank you. And I suspect we'll have some more concrete examples we'll be able to share um, of how the unions and work councils have been working with employers in various countries um, on our next call. Um, earlier, myself, uh, Gilles in Luxembourg and Arnold in the Netherlands talked a little bit about the impact um, on holiday and holiday, how holiday might be able to be used by the employer to leverage um, some of this downtime. Um, perhaps we could just touch on that in some of the other countries as well. Inga, how about in Belgium? Um, are employees allowed to retract or cancel holidays that they've planned? Well, in Belgium, neither the employer nor the employee may unilaterally cancel or change agreed holidays. So an employer can refuse such requests from the employee. Of course, they may agree to do this if, if there is mutual consent. And practically, we would advise discussing this directly with the employees if they ask to change or cancel agreed holiday plans. At the collective level, employers could also consider discussing the preferred approach with the Works Council or other competent representative body if there is no Works Council. And discussions should take into account business continuity in order to avoid that all employees take their holidays in the second half of the year, presumably when business will be picking back up for most companies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's a great example of where we might be able to see the Works Council helping the employer take a more practical approach by the sound of it. Claire, what about in France? Is, is this possible? Well, the, the situation is quite similar compared to, to Belgium. So employees cannot uh, retract or cancel plan, plan holidays uh, unilaterally uh, as long as the holidays have been um, planned and accepted by the employer as per the usual company process. Uh, so they, the change or withdrawal would need uh, the, uh, an agreement between the employees and the company. Mm. Great, thank you. And Livio, how about Italy? Italy, the situation is quite similar. I mean, the, um, the employer cannot unilaterally cancel the, the holiday already booked by the employees. Uh, in general, uh, the principle issued in the last uh, decree of uh, uh, 17 of March, in any case, is uh, to, to encourage the employer to ask employees to take holiday, especially uh, book in the last uh, uh, in the previous uh, in the previous year. So this is the situation. I mean, uh, the national collective bargaining agreement can provide some deviation from this principle by way of update. Uh, again, the the banking sector. Um, has changed and renewed the uh, NCBA recently, and they provide a specific new provision by means of which the employee can make a sort of donation of their or of a part of their uh, holidays to other employees who can uh, who can get it because they need more than others. So this is uh, the last update that we have. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've heard of a number of employers in the UK looking at doing a voluntary holiday nation, holiday donation scheme as well, um, which sounds like a, a very good idea. And again, picking up on some of the points Markov mentioned earlier around some of the more um, socially focused policies, that sort of certainly falls within that. Um, it also links in very nicely to our next question that we were asked about um, what support is being offered to working parents at this time, um, obviously being able to share holiday with those who perhaps need the time off um, to look for childcare purposes, um, maybe one reason for the allocation of holiday. Um, but what are your um, respective jurisdictions, your respective governments putting in place to help working parents who are trying to juggle remote working whilst um, keeping children at bay? Um, Gilles, how about in Luxembourg? Anything there? Yeah, thanks, Sarah. So Luxembourg has uh, actually implemented a relatively uh, family-friendly solution in the context of COVID-19. Uh, the government has, in fact, extended the possibility for parents to have recourse to what is called the family leave. The family leave allows one of the two parents of children to stay at home for childcare reasons while being paid by the company. The company then receives, to a large extent, a reimbursement of the cost from an employer mutual fund but uh, nevertheless, of course, from a financial perspective, it gives, it gives an enormous security to parents. Um, while the government's recommendation is that parents only use the family leave in case there is absolutely no alternative for childcare, an employer can ultimately not really refuse such a request, even if the employee is actually awarded the possibility to do teleworking or homeworking. Um, However, there's one exception to the statement that I've made. If one of the two parents is in partial unemployment and gets paid through that scheme, no other member of the household may, may take the, the family leave. It is not yet clear for how long this family leave will remain um, available. The current provisional deadline is 19th of April, so in roughly two and a half weeks. It will need to be seen if the government extends it. I personally doubt it because it's an enormous cost factor for the state's budget and it is um, slightly being criticized for, for being too expensive. So let's wait, let's wait and see. Mm. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Um, Arnold, in the Netherlands, I think you mentioned there's been some changes there as well to support working parents. Yeah, well, in the Netherlands, government announced yesterday that schools will remain closed until the 28th of April. Uh, and in that respect, two measures are worthwhile to note. Um, children of parents or a parent that carries out a critical profession or works in the vital sector, such as the energy sector, uh, can physically still attend the school or um, a daycare center. Um, and secondly, in, in addition, uh, last week the government announced that it will compensate parents for childcare or um, out-of-school care costs during the school down, school uh, lockdown periods. And the payment will be made by uh, uh, the, uh, the the respective childcare organisations uh, who are then supposed to onward this to um, to the parents in question. Great. And Marco, what about Germany? Anything there? Yeah, I mentioned it at the very beginning of the call. Um, we do have also new legislation which um, and supports um, and employees who suffer loss of earnings during the pandemic because of the need for childcare. Um, this applies to um, family members with children up to the age of 12 years. 
And the requirements, um, there are basically two requirements. The first one is that no other options of care are available other than by the parents. And second, that the loss of the earnings cannot be avoided, for example, by reducing the time credits um, by short-time compensation work or um, and overtime hours. Um, the result is that um, the employees are being supported in the amount of 67% of their former net income um, um, up to a total period of um, six weeks. And this is, however, limited to a monthly um, salary of 2,016 euros net. The compensation is usually paid out by the employer, who then in return can request reimbursement from the authorities. Great. Thank you. Well, I certainly hope the UK government is um, talking to some of their um, peers in your respective countries um, to see if we will come up with something a bit more um, innovative and helpful for working parents than we have at the moment. Um, we only have the ability to take holiday or to use unpaid dependent care leave. Um, which obviously in the current circumstances is not very satisfactory. So you're quite often hearing parents um, whose children are interrupting conference calls. Um, or yesterday, myself and one of my clients came up with the ingenious idea that whilst we would be talking, we were going to put our respective children together to speak to each other um, so that they could make a friend and, and have a conversation as well. And needless to say, their conversation sounded a bit more interesting than ours, but um, I think that sort of joint childcare is the only way forward at the moment. Um, I'm very conscious that um, there is so much more we could cover and um, apologies to those of my colleagues who have um, looked at answers to other questions that we're not going to get a chance to come on to in today's session. Um, we will run further sessions and we appreciate how well attended these have been. Um, we also really appreciate all of the um, feedback that we've had after the session, so please do send through any feedback after this one together with any other questions that you would want us to deal with on the next session. Um, it's really important to us that we're hitting the topics that are most important to you. Um, as I mentioned at the start of the call, we had prepared um, some written documents off the back of the last call. Um, we will update those um, because, as, as you've heard on the call today, there's been a huge number of updates in each country. Um, so we will try to keep those papers updated um, as regularly as possible as we have material developments. Um, clearly, there are a number of similarities across the jurisdictions, but also some very key differences as well. So it is really important and um, we recognize um, that you're there at the coalface needing to understand what is happening and what you need to prepare for. Um, so with that, on behalf of the Global Employment Team, um, thank you ever so much today for dialing in. Um, thank you to all our fantastic speakers um, for um, educating all of us, including myself, as to what's happening in your countries. Um, we send you all our very best wishes, your families and your colleagues. Stay healthy, stay in touch, um, and thank you again. Goodbye. This now concludes our conference call. Thank you all for attending. You may now disconnect your lines.